Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture here at Midweek. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We hope it'll be a good one for you and hope you are safe and well. Coming up on our program today, we will talk with Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX, Arlen Suderman. We'll talk about the markets. We'll talk about the big purchases recently by China, and we'll go over the latest USDA numbers. We'll also be getting a crop condition report from Nebraska. We'll talk with Greg Anderson, soybean farmer in eastern Nebraska. And we'll be going over some of the ag news of the day with Todd Neely with DTN. But we're happy to start things off today with the administrator of the Farm Service Agency, Richard Fordyce. Richard, good to talk with you again. I wanted to get an update on CFAP, the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program. What's the latest there as far as how much you've been able to send out in way of assistance to producers? Well, good good morning, Mike. As always, it's good to be with you. Um, so the announcement this week, um, you know, we continued to tick up uh, the, the amount of payments. Um, $5.8 billion um, have been made in payments uh, to, to 409,000 different producers. So, you know, each week, um, and we release these numbers on Mondays, you know, each week this is, um, this number continues to go up. Um, Late last week, we did make an announcement of some additional crops that are being added to the program. Um, but, uh, again, continue to make progress, um, you know, week by week, and as we have more producers uh, that are signing up for CFAP. Yeah, we'll talk about those additional commodities in just a moment. I want to talk about the amount, $5.8 billion. That's up from the $5.4 billion a week ago. Some have noted that and saying it seems to be slowing down, uh, the, the pace of it has slowed down some. Would, would you characterize it as slowing down, or, or how would you describe the pace you're on and getting that money out? You know, Mike, I think, I mean, I think you could characterize it as potentially slowing down, but I think, you know, we've got to keep in mind that there's a lot of activity going on in, in Farm Service Agency offices. Um, today actually is the final date um, for, uh, for acreage reporting. Uh, we just finished up our ARC PLC sign-up for the 2020 crop year. Um, so a lot of a lot of standing programs. Uh, we have CRP in some parts of the country. We have livestock forage program in some parts of the country. Uh, and so what we're hearing from state executive directors, uh, really across the country, is, you know, we're gonna, you know, the Farm Service Agency, we're gonna provide that customer service that our customers are asking for, and. And it, it kind of looks like that, that maybe the focus the last week or so have been on trying to finish up those acreage reports, um, finish up ARC PLC um, signups. Um, so, so maybe the work has shifted a bit, um, you know, as, as some deadlines have presented themselves. Um, you know, but we're certainly anticipating, you know, continued interest certainly in CFAP. Um, and uh, but, but I think maybe we could characterize maybe a slowdown um, in those other activities that are happening in those county offices. So it would be more because of a slowdown in requests, not because of a problem in getting the money out. Do you have a backlog that you're working through? So we've asked we've asked every county. We have a we have a reporting system, um, and we've asked every county. To, to signify or indicate if they have appointments that are out 
past two weeks for CFAP. And we do not have any, at least that I'm aware of, we do not have any counties that have, uh, have a backlog that's, that's, that extends past two weeks. Most of them are, are quite less than that. Um, and so, you know, I think we're able, right now, we're able to handle, you know, we're able to handle the, the workload in a manageable way. And, you know, we, 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 can, we monitor it very, very closely, um, not only from here in Washington, but also our state offices uh, managing their own state um, activities. And so I think, we're, I think we're managing it at this point. Um, again, we, we just have, we've got a lot of, a lot of different things happening uh, within FSA kind of at this, this time of the year. So um, we're going to do what the customer asks us. So if the customer would, would prefer to do an acreage report as opposed to finalize his or her CFAP application, we're going to take that acreage report. We're talking with FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce. Richard, when we talked last time, you said an announcement on more commodities being uh, taken into CFAP would come in two to three weeks. And and all of a sudden, it came out in like two to three days. A number of commodities were were added, uh, several, as a matter of fact. Now, some are still not in. We know there's some classes of wheat uh, you've still not accepted. Uh, but tell us about those that have been accepted and uh, what this means to the program as far as available dollars. Right. So, um, so I was I. I was assuming uh, in a week or two would be an announcement, and you're right, Mike. It was a couple of days after we talked last week. So, um, so uh, the, the the new crops or the new commodities that were announced, primarily specialty crops, um, and and that was due to some some data that uh, that we had available through AMS um, from from a market news reporting standpoint. Um, and some and some uh, submissions through the NOFA. We've talked about the NOFA in the past. Um, the ability for the public to submit um, data to support inclusion into the program. So these uh, these added these added crops again, primarily specialty crops. There's over 40 of them uh, that um, that were included. Um, changed some payment rates a little bit. We changed some eligibility categories for some things like apples and potatoes. Um, made some minor tweaks to some of those things, uh, you know. And, and as we've talked about, really for the last two or three weeks, we are we are continuing to analyze the data that came in from the NOFA. Over 1,700 submissions, so uh, quite a bit of things to wade through. Um, you know, we are actually having meetings almost on a daily basis to to you know get reports from the teams that are analyzing that data and hope to. Hope to be able to have you know another announcement of eligible commodities fairly soon. And based on last week, I'm not going to give you a prediction of when that is, but um, but but hopefully soon. I was going to say if you said two to three weeks, I'd be expecting it by the end of this week. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but you are looking at that, and uh, we'll be watching for for that announcement. So real quick, Richard, then you're at uh, 5.8 billion, headed towards 16 billion, right? Absolutely. And, you know, Mike, that that five point eight billion has been, you know, it's been factored, um, you know, so that five point eight billion represents the 80 percent of that eligible payment, um, you know, to ensure that we got to the end of the program and we're able to 
you know, able to pay, you know, everyone that, that, that wants to be a part of the program, we made the decision to factor that eligible payment um, and pay 80% of that. So, so that $5.8 billion is, is basically 80% of the eligible payments. Um, and so, you know, as we continue to move forward, um, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to see how, how many folks come in for the, for the newly announced uh, crops. Mm-hmm. But we, again, we monitor it very closely. Um, and yes, $5.8 billion on the way to sixteen. And we'll stay in touch and get the updates. Appreciate your time as always, Richard. Thank you. All right. All right, Mike. Thank you. Take care. FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce with an update on CFAP right here on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, let's talk things over with DTN reporter Todd Neely. Todd, good to talk with you again. We just uh, talked with FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce about the CFAP program. They're now at $5.8 billion that they've sent out. That compares to $5.4 billion last week. Seemed like it didn't jump much, and he said it's more because producers are busy with other things, filling out acreage reports or things like that. It's not really uh, any slowdown or problems they have in the uh, and the mechanism of getting the, the, the funds out. So uh, he anticipates, uh, you know, they're still on track to get to the uh, $16 billion and, and no real backlog that he sees on, on, on their end. So it's kind of interesting that it, it didn't jump more than it did. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think uh, when you look at the landscape of agriculture right now, you're right. You know, uh, we hear a lot about uh you know, the ongoing situation with COVID and, and how it's affecting the economy. And, and we hear a lot about markets and how it's affected hogs and, and all these things. But uh, I think lost in the full situation is the idea that farmers are out there working. And, uh, you know, a lot of times they don't have time for all this other stuff. Although, uh, you know, it's definitely good to see that the producers are taking advantage of that program. And I think, uh, you know, it's definitely needed. You know, we've seen a lot of economic hardship for a lot of people, but agriculture in particular has really been hit pretty good. Well, of course, farmers would rather get their income from the markets, and we are seeing some yeah. improving ethanol margins. So hopefully that's a, a good sign, although the concerns with the spike in the, the coronavirus cases, if that, we'll see if that slows down driving again, and which would have a negative impact. But for now, we're seeing things improving slightly for the ethanol industry. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. You know, much of last year, uh, you know, we have a we have a hypothetical ethanol plant that we put together at DTN, kind of following the crush margin in corn prices, ethanol prices. Last year, we spent much of the year in the negatives, and uh, we had an update uh, last week uh, from May 22nd. You know, we were in the negatives at that time as a result of all the COVID thing going on, and uh, the plant that we covered is is in the is in the you know it's it's in the black, and so it's uh, definitely back to a situation here where people are starting to make money but uh you know it's going to depend a lot on that ethanol price it's going to depend on fuel demand uh we're seeing that improve but you're right i think uh, every day you know we hear more about cases expanding and and uh concerns about possibly shutting back down i think it does raise some uh you know raises a lot of insecurity among the ethanol industry because they need that fuel demand um but it's good to see, you know, we've seen ethanol prices improve in recent days. They've kind of dipped back down a, a bit, but you're seeing some signs of life in this industry again. 
We're talking with DTN reporter Todd Neely. Todd, I know you've been following the Lake Algae, the Lake Erie Algae Bloom situation, and people might say, well, I don't live near Lake Erie, so why does this impact me? But it really, it does have an impact, doesn't it, on people in many other places across the country, how this goes and how it's handled. Right. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. As you know, uh, Lake Erie has been a real hot point when it comes to agriculture runoff. Uh, you know, back in 2014 in the city of Toledo, they, uh, they required a half a million residents uh, to boil water because of an algae bloom in, in Lake Erie. And uh, one of the things that we saw last week, a new uh, forecast came out from NOAA, uh, that bloom is actually expected to be much smaller this year, which is good news. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that go into that. You know, it's kind of a, it's a drier spring up there and uh, things have just been different than what we've seen. And I think, uh, you know, when you look at this, the thing that's really interesting is that Ohio has implemented its, its own voluntary nutrients runoff strategy Obviously, this isn't going to, you know, show any dividends for a few years, but it's uh, it's definitely a situation to watch because I think, you know, as we look at water quality across the country, uh, you know, agriculture plays a significant role in uh, keeping nutrients out of those waters. And, uh, you know, what happens in Ohio with Lake Erie and Michigan and those sorts of those areas there, I think it's really going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting to see because I think if things work there in a certain way that it's successful, uh, you would probably think that that would be replicated across the country. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, there's still the issues of what's happening in meatpacking plants, and there's been a complaint filed with USDA alleging racial discrimination. Uh, what's the latest on that? Well, yeah, Mike, a number of uh, <clears throat> a number of food groups have uh, they complained filed a complaint with USDA last week. Uh, pointed at Tyson and JBS, and one of the things that's come up is the fact that uh, a disproportionate number of people getting sick in a lot of these meatpacking plants, uh, you know, they're, they're ethnic minorities. And so uh, this complaint wants uh, USDA to, to conduct investigation on that front and uh, to see uh, if these people have been treated fairly. You know, uh, the meatpacking plants have kind of been front and center when we're talking about uh, the whole COVID outbreak. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting when you start looking at the numbers, you know, it's by and large a lot of ethnic minorities who work at these plants, uh, in fact, the majority. Um, and so we'll see how this plays out. But I do think that it's something to keep an eye on because, uh, you know, as we open up society and keep moving along, with trying to get back to normal. Uh, we have to consider the workers as well. Well, we were talking earlier about the CFAP program. Uh, a lot of uh, eyes on what happens in the Senate as they craft some type of another coronavirus uh, assistance package and a lot of the farm groups have weighed in they like what's a lot of what's in that uh, heroes act that came out of the house so we'll see how much of that makes it into the senate bill yeah absolutely and i think uh, you know when we talk you know we talked a lot about the ethanol industry and its situation i think it's uh it's one of the more interesting aspects of what's been offered in the senate is a potential uh, you know, a potential payment to ethanol plants for feedstocks. Um, you know, it's something that was raised by Senator Grassley of Iowa. And, uh, you know, if that plays out, that could definitely be a significant boost for producers at this time because, it's, you know, we've talked a lot about, um, a lot about, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of restart going on. And I think people uh, are really trying to get these plants up to full speed. And, uh, but it'll, you know, it's going to be interesting because uh, once that payment is, is gone and used, 
you know, what's going to happen to ethanol down the road. You know, we still have a lot of a lot of uncertainties when it comes to the coronavirus and ethanol itself is, as you know, uh, there's a lot of a lot of doubts about federal policy and other things that we follow. And so it'll be uh, very interesting to track. A lot of questions being raised and concerns being raised about all this assistance for agriculture, not that it isn't needed, but yeah. how dependent agriculture is becoming on on these record levels of assistance that would seem to be unsustainable moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, and that's what you said earlier is true. Farmers want markets. And I think, uh, you know, the more we see things uh, not so smooth with China at the moment, um, I think it really does raise the, the the big question is how long can we keep these producers viable? Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of segments of the industry. Look at hog producers. I mean, they're they're really in a, a tough situation right now. I mean, they're literally months away from, uh, you know, potentially having to, to get out of the business, some of these producers. And so I think, uh, you know, the more we look forward, we, we really have to consider, you know, maybe the possibility of opening the farm, ball, farm bill next year at least um, is going to be pretty interesting to see what the debate is but uh there's definitely there's definitely going to be a need because things are certainly not normal in a lot of segments of the economy well and there'll be a lot of uh things revisited such as i'm sure if this keeps going there's going to be more and more talk about set-asides and things like that we've already heard some bring that up uh, that's a path that uh, I know a lot of producers uh, that brings back some bad memories and bad experiences, but I'm sure it's going to be part of the conversation moving forward if things don't turn around. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and as, as, as the things have been for many, many years, you know, uh, farmers tend to produce a lot of corn, a lot, they use a lot of acres, you know, although the acres really haven't grown much in the past decade or, or two. Uh, but definitely, I think, uh, you know, it's, it really is a time, I think, for a lot of farmers to really look inward and see, you know, what things are going to be going down the road. A lot of things have changed. A lot of things are still in doubt. And uh, certainly, you know, it's a, it's definitely a time for uh, self-reflection, I guess. And yeah, there'll be a lot of that going on for sure. Todd, good to talk with you again. Take care. We'll talk again next week. All right. Thank you, Mike. All right. DTN reporter. Todd Neely. Well, China, always in the news, of course, and certainly having an impact on our ag economy. China's made some big, big purchases as of late. We're going to talk next with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX, get his thoughts on these purchases. What do they mean as far as fulfilling the Phase 1 trade deal? And get his thoughts on the, uh, the market reaction. Why hasn't it been more positive to these huge purchases. We're going to get into that next, so stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. information america's farmers and ranchers need to know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams good to be talking with arlen suderman chief commodities economist for stone x lots to talk about arlen thanks for joining us let's talk china they're making some big big purchases but we're not seeing this huge uh 
upward movement in the markets. Why? Right, excellent question. They purchased another 5.1 million bushels or so this morning, and that's on top of the most recent purchase of a little over 69 million bushels. And here's the market's response to it. Overall, the, the overall, I want to say, premise of the Phase 1 trade agreement was to try to enforce China to have more transparency in how they established and fulfill their import quotas. And their import quota for corn right now is uh, at about 7.2 million metric tons, or about 283 million bushels. So, so far in 2020, they've imported about 4.2 million tons, mostly from Black Sea region, some from the United States, uh, between January and May, the latest data that's available. If we consider that June and July imports really haven't shown up, but along with the most recent uh, 3.13 million tons in flash sales from USDA uh, and the outstanding uh, sales of about 0.8 million tons already reported on USDA's report, that would seem to put this year's total above that 7.2 million ton limit. Now, we've heard lots of rumors that the government officials are working on increasing the quota some of them saying about 5 million metric tons, some 10 million metric tons, some rumors of 20 million metric tons. And we've been hearing those rumors for two years, and the trade is pretty skeptical. So right now, all the market can assume is, yeah, it was a big flash that we saw the sales, but this may be it. Now, it's still possible that we could go higher because these are for delivery during the new crop year, which obviously extends well into 2021. So much of this corn could actually apply to next year's quota, which means there is more upside potential. But there's still a lot of skepticism in the market considering how large our surplus is. I've been saying for some time to get a sustained rally in the market, we need a combination of both a weather threat, a legitimate weather threat, and unexpected demand to China. Is there also the psychology here because – of that big number in the phase one trade deal and all the speculation and uh, everyone watching to see if they, they get to that or even get close to it. Th- that has set an almost unrealistic uh, a goal, uh, goal post out there. And anything short of that, or it appears to be short of that almost seems like it's a, a negative rather than a positive, even if the purchases are, are significant. Uh, and uh, if, but if you, with that number hanging over the market, it, it seems to diminish them somewhat. Well, that's uh, currently one of the primary philosophies out there, that if they fall short of $36.5 billion for this year, the trade deal is off, and, and we go back to where we were with the trade war again. I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, I'm not as skeptical or fearful of that as long as we see China making significant strides toward or trying to keep it. Now, the relationship between the United States is certainly tense. Uh, there are a lot of reasons why everything can fall apart. The trade phase one trade deal, though, is the one aspect that both sides to this point have been protecting because it is the one thing that maintains a relationship of communication between the two superpowers. And I think both sides want to maintain that, although it is rocky and is vulnerable to breaking apart at some point. I think even if we get past the elections and uh, 
if President Trump loses, then China has no role incentive to continue on with it. If President Trump wins, will he be tough on them? I think that he would want to maintain the phase one if he saw China trying to make strides towards it, even if they fell short, if he could use that as leverage toward getting additional concessions or additional trade talks. The mood is not good between the White House right now and Beijing, certainly, but trying to protect the phase one seems to have more benefits right now than just throwing it out. Yeah, and of course, the president has talked about he's not interested in talking with China about phase two right now because of the coronavirus situation. Uh, we're talking with uh, StoneX economist Arlen Suderman. Arlen, let's talk about the latest USDA numbers. Uh, they came in pretty close, didn't they? Right about online with what you were projecting. Yeah, they did. And the numbers overall were somewhat supportive, but uh, unfortunately they came out just as the midday updates were coming out on Friday, calling for a much wetter, cooler outlook for the Midwest. That became the dominant story. And, and the bottom line is, even though they were somewhat friendly, we still have a lot of corn out there. We still have a lot of wheat, and we still have a lot of soybeans. And related to the trade talk with China, I think the trade is still a little bit skeptical of USDA's new crop soybean estimate of 425 million bushels. I certainly am. I do not see it. Um, take note of the fact that USDA raised the size of Brazil's soybean crop by 2 million metric tons to 126 million metric tons, meaning they had some really good yields in northern areas. They had some poor yields in dry southern areas that are averaged out to about an average trend yield. And they're anticipating raising acreage by 4 to 6% for their next year's crop. So it's really difficult for me to see how we're going to be able to hit USDA's export target for the coming year uh, when as soon as Brazilian new crop supplies are available, that's where China's going to go back to because that's where the cheap beans are. Um, and so I'm skeptical of that export target, and I think the trade is as well. Seems like every report from USDA almost raises more questions than it provides answers. Well, there's a lot of truth to that. And uh, we've certainly been in a time of uncertainty that's very frustrating to farmers. Um, they're doing their job well. They're doing it so well that we've got a big surplus supplies. And just when we think that we're overcoming the demand problems, uh, with the phase, we get the phase one trade deal and think, okay, we're going to strengthen our demand. Then we see coronavirus come in and cut the legs out from under what we thought were the two big stable pillars of demand, being our biofuel program and our livestock sector. And uh, so it's been very frustrating to farmers. We just talked about why we didn't see more of an upward uh, market movement from the China purchases. If future purchases would be would include some big ethanol amounts would that be a market mover i have said from the start that i felt like that would be the big issue that would be the real test of china's commitment to phase one trade deal and that would be what would really have the impact on the markets because we know from talking to our buyers there there's interest in distillers grains um, and uh, ethanol mathematically works into China. Um, but 
We see no movement. As I talk to our Shanghai office every week, we see no movement on China's part to seriously make strides toward removing the anti-dumping tariffs from distillers' grains, which is what is necessary to see them move to China. And we see no movement at all toward importing ethanol. And so while that could really be a game-changer, I think, for the corn industry, uh, at this point we see no evidence of it happening, even though it, there are really possibilities there. Let's talk about the wheat market. Uh, they're wrapping up the harvest in Kansas. Uh, what do you see? For, what's your outlook for the wheat market? Overall, the protein content of the hard red winter wheat crop was surprisingly good, coming in a little better than what we expected. Of course, the best is usually in the west in the high plains, and that's the case again this year as well, where drought and, and freeze damage uh, reduced the yield. Um, but overall, it's better quality, so therefore not as much of a premium for the Minneapolis market. Soft red winter, though, has been where the real uh, premium has been of late. We've really been trending lower in our production of all the wheats. But for hard red winter and hard red spring, there are, are other alternatives in the world. But for soft red winter, we really don't have any other alternatives around the world for the qualities that soft red winter has. So if you're an end user who uses soft red winter for those qualities, that's what you need. And so that's where the concerns are as acreage continues to trend lower. Um, we're going to have to maintain enough of a premium in that price in order to encourage acreage um, for the next year going forward, maintain supplies. We did see a surge in end user buying both domestic and export of soft red winter when the harvest started, and we, there were some concerns about quality. Um, but as those quality concerns ease back, um, then suddenly that buying backed off as well. Um, but the demand is still there. And uh, right now, the interest is in the soft red winter. All right, uh, Arlen, always good to talk with you. Sounds like, uh, for now anyway, the, the biggest things to watch are China and weather. Those are still the two big drivers. Right now, it's still weather. It's looking good right now. We haven't ruled out the possibility of some weather problems later in the growing season, but for right now, it's looking good on the weather front. Very good. All right. We'll keep a close watch and stay in touch. Arlen, always good to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. Well, they've had some weather challenges in parts of Nebraska. We're going to talk with soybean farmer Greg Anderson. He farms in the eastern part of Nebraska. We'll get a crop condition report on his farm and in his area. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, yesterday we talked with farmers in Illinois and Ohio about crop conditions in their area. Today we go to the state of Nebraska. Greg Anderson joins us. He's a soybean farmer in eastern Nebraska. Greg, good to talk with you. Last time we talked, you were wrapped up with planting. Now, here we are mid-July. How do things look? Well, here we are, mid-July. It's hard to believe, Mike. The weeks do roll by. 
Uh, at this point right here in east central Nebraska, things look, you know, pretty decent. Uh, we picked up some nice rain last week. Uh, missed it this morning. Looks like the southeast corner of the state got uh, soaked, and the north central and northern sections of Nebraska today are getting a little showers. Very nice, uh, cool weather here, but that's going to change in a big hurry here by the weekend. Uh, right now, the corn is, a lot of it is, is in the pollination stage, so uh, if uh, it hasn't had water and if it's dry, and then, you know, that's a concern. And then also with the heat moving in, that is a concern. The soybeans, uh, you know, about this time of year, they finally start to look pretty good. And with the rains last week, uh, we hope that's enough to kind of buy them some time to get it to that critical August pod uh, filling and, and development stage then. I know there have been some, there's been some severe weather in Nebraska, but it's missed you? Well, uh, it has for the hail part. We had some uh, wind here on July 6th that uh, really, uh, you know, put some corn uh, down in places. Uh, I've heard uh, not too far from me about 50% green snap. You never like to see that. That's about the third year in a row uh, in this area that we've had uh, those extremely high winds that have caused some damage there. So that that's a pocket. And then uh, also on that storm, there was uh, some hail in my county that wiped out some soybeans 100%. You never like to see that. It's been pretty spotty. Uh, never really had a general rain uh, throughout the state. It's uh, just like it seems like everybody's kind of getting some rain at some point. It's just uh, spaced out and, uh, you know, one part of the county might get an inch and, and then the other part of the county might get grazed with just a tenth of an inch or something like that. So uh, we'll continue to monitor these uh, weather systems as they uh, move across the, the, the state and, and, and the region. We're talking with Nebraska farmer Greg Anderson. Greg, are you seeing any disease or insect problems? Well, right now, uh, as we get off the uh, air here today, I'm going to jump on my four-wheeler again and do some more scouting for soybean fields as uh, they enter the R3 um, stage of development here later this month. I'm looking at spraying fungicide and I'm finding a lot of uh, small grasshoppers and some insects, so I'll probably throw in an insecticide with that and uh, line up that to be sprayed here at the uh, proper time. It's always uh, something to watch and monitor, and, and if you get boots on the ground and look uh, you know, regularly, you'll just see some things develop. I, uh, in last years, I've had some frog eye leaf spots, so I'm concerned about that, and I'll be looking for that as well. You and I have talked about this over the years. You are all soybeans, so um, you have management, unique management uh, uh, issues that uh, goes with continuous soybeans. How have you dealt with that? How, what do you have to do, perhaps a little differently, because you're soybeans every year? Sure, there's there's a lot that goes into that, Mike. I would say, you know, I really start with fertility first. I want to make sure that. The soils are get, giving the, that crop absolutely everything it needs uh, for food, uh, all the nutrients, all the, the main nutrients as well as the micros. And then I, you know, I used to select uh, soybean varieties is probably my number one thing, but that's probably way down on the list right now. I, I found that if I can get the soil right and then uh, do some management on the weeds, as far as uh, right now this year I'm using an enlist system, which is uh, kind of interesting, uh, seeing some uh, dicamba, uh, not drift, but I think uh, just effects on on some beans that aren't uh, extend. Uh, I don't really have a big concern about that. I had a little bit of that last year, and it turned out just fine. 
however, there are a lot of issues when you grow continuous soybeans. You want to watch for white mold and be on top of that. I haven't really experienced that somewhat. seems like I'm uh, always seeing a, a new wrinkle every year. Uh, I know soybean gall midge has been in the state, and that's something to watch uh, very carefully. We're not really sure how to treat that because those insects burrow inside the plant and an insecticide doesn't seem to stop them uh, unless you get it really at a critical uh, point. So uh, there's always a, a, new, uh, a new wrinkle to, to deal with and a new issue, but you know, at the same time, uh, the soybean business is a good business to be in, and I know, you know millions of acres across the country have all kinds of different management issues. Yep, always challenges. So here we are, mid-July. How does uh, your crop look now compared to a year ago? Well, pretty much the same, Mike. I would say that uh, moisture situation is about the same uh, with uh, three inches of rain that came over, three different rain events uh, separated by every other day last week. That really set us nice uh, up nice to go into uh, the late part of the month. Uh, right now, we're going to look at some critical uh, points for moisture. I'm all rain-fed, uh, no irrigation here. So uh, last year, I know going forward, we had just ample rains, and it really they didn't run the pivots on beans because there just was no need to. We just had enough rainfall to uh, make every acre in Nebraska last year an irrigated acre just about. Uh, this uh, year, it seems like it, the, the, the rains have been a little bit more spotty, a little bit further apart. Uh, they always talk about the high-pressure ridge building in and, and that type of thing that would cap thunderstorms. So we want to make sure that that uh, that doesn't happen again. We can't do anything about it, but we want to be watching that. I, I think uh, benefits of no-till have really uh, shined because uh, we're not disturbing the soil and, and making moisture escape that way thus far. Uh, and so now with the canopy there, uh, every rain helps. It seems like it goes a little bit farther when uh, there's no uh, you know ground to, to uh, evaporate from. Everything's covered. So. Uh, yeah, this year it's, it's very similar to last year, it looks like at this point. Um, we hope that we can enjoy a good yield again, and you know, certainly we need that uh, with the lower price that we're experiencing. Yep, key stretch coming up, and uh, we'll stay in touch and see how we go through uh, this, these next few weeks, especially with some of this heat that's coming in. Thanks a lot, Greg. Good to talk to you again. Thank you, Mike. Great to talk with you. Take, take care. Nebraska soybean farmer. Greg Anderson. Well, that wraps it up for today. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have the latest ag equipment sales numbers. We'll talk about the ag economy with AFBF Chief Economist John Newton, and we're going to learn about a virtual grill-a-thon coming up. Hope you'll join us tomorrow right here on AOA. AOA.